Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform. And follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of our 174th week of this podcast. Uh, we've got the whole crew today. That's Lucas, Aiden, Wyatt, Jared, and myself, Bart. Uh, we're going to be talking about the final four of March Madness today, along with the next State of episode. We're going to be t- covering the Raiders today. But first, let's go over some news that we missed. Um, Ty- Tyreek Hill has finally raced. He did an actual foot race. Wyatt is always asking for him to do this. He did one at the USA Track and Field Masters Indoor Championship and dusted the rest of the field. Wyatt, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, not that impressed because literally anybody can sign up for the USA uh, Track and Field Masters group. <laughs> They're just in five-year age group. He was probably racing people like me who have to go to work tomorrow and not people who, uh, <laughs> who play in the NFL and are professional athletes. So you think you would beat him? I think I have a chance, yeah. Okay. Given the right conditions, you know. <laughs> no, no joke. I'm I'm not old, but I'm really starting to come to terms that I am not the athlete with which I, w- I once was. I uh, I pulled my hamstring about like I'm a year athlete. ago, I'm and <laughs> Jared, I was a better athlete than you are, and you know it. Um, I pulled my back a week ago deadlifting. I pulled my back a week ago deadlifting, and it's like I'm just not the same athlete that i am he was gonna run the master yeah the track and field masters but you know but yeah left and he didn't exactly it's really tough i mean 26 is imminent right like you are you're getting right up to the wire we're less than 30 days away from 26 air shit um okay next up uh, college football pro days happened. I guess um, there are definitely some people who didn't perform at the combine who had pro days. I don't know if anybody has any major takeaways from these. Apparently, Will Levis, sometimes, but... Will Levis was um, bombing the interviews. Like the, the people were like, oh, "He's arrogant and he's cocky, and they're not going well." <laughs> Is that a surprise? After his like, I could, I could. What was it? My arm talent like could win a championship right, right now. Yeah, or something like yeah. That? yeah. <laughs> This has uh, Bo Callahan fun. energy from draft day all over it right now. Mm-hmm. How many guys like go to his birthday party? Jared keeps mentioning draft day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's know if he does in this. Movie. At least, not at least in yeah, our personal right. life, I think this is like the second or third time I've heard him say draft day in the last month. It's a great. This is, it's such a good movie. Please watch it if you haven't. Brought they to you by. But it is a plug for where we did sports movies. So go back and listen to that episode. Oh, did he, did, oh, did he pick draft day? He did. He actually oh, did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll go back so in our identity. notes and find it. But, yeah. <laughs> um, in NBA news, uh, Ben Simmons will miss the remainder of the season because of a nerve injury on his back. So he has yet to play a full season of basketball since his senior year of high school. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. By the, the way, for Harden won the crazy. trade. McCall yeah. Bridges has already played more minutes as a net. Than Ben uh, Ben Simmons has, and it's by Ed. That's true. Yeah, oh yeah. The la- when I saw this stat, um, Bridges had three hundred and ninety four minutes, and Ben Simmons collectively has two hundred and ninety one minutes as a net so far. That's like six. Also, games. 
I gotta find the stat. The new big three, Bridges, Cam Thomas, and the other name who escapes me, have already played more minutes together than okay. Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant. Well, I, I want to so. issue a slight correction. He, it's it's points scored. He's already scored more points than Ben Simmons is in that. Not played more minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's still impressive. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah that's so crazy. That's so crazy. But Ben Simmons's value obviously isn't in the points; it's in everything else that he brings. Come on, keep up. Yeah, right. His impact does not show up on the stat sheet. Exactly. <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, I, so I was okay tangentially. Somebody had the Tony Snell the other day. I forget who it was, but they played like a bunch of minutes and had zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists. That classic stat line. My favorite thing ever. <laughs> um, anyways. Draymond Green got his 17th tech this season against the Pelicans recently. Uh, he had a shoving match with Brandon Ingram. So now he's one technical away from another one-game suspension. Classic Draymond. Um, yeah. I, think, <laughs> yeah okay. I guess they all go away in the playoffs. I think. I have no idea. Um, he's been known to get suspended in the playoffs. Yeah, too, it's just like, yeah, dude... I just don't think it were like at this stretch of basketball for the Warriors, they don't need to be in a position where Draymond Green is getting suspended. They don't, they already don't yeah. have Andrew Wiggins, the Jordan Poole, Kaminga, uh, Moses Moody, like their contribution isn't necessarily where they wanted it to be. So for Draymond Green to, although it was, he was given the credit of sparking a fire in the Warriors I do think it's really ridiculous to continue to lean into this that has bit them in the ass more times than I don't know than than winning against the Pelicans. I like what like what's the point? I, I, I've laid it out before, but like he's now punched his teammate in the face. He told Kevin Durant that they don't need him, and he left. Uh, he has gotten suspended in the finals, which may have cost him a championship. And it's like I don't know. Do you, like, is this really? The best plan of action? I don't agree with that. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how they do, if they can even make the plan. Um, okay, next in the NBA news, Adam Silver is apparently on the shortlist to replace Bob Iger as the next Disney CEO. <laughs> but apparently he also said that he's not interested in going anywhere. Yeah. Well, you have to say that. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Such a, yeah, interesting. Um, in NFL news, Meek Mill told Robert Kraft of the Patriots that Lamar Jackson <laughs> wants to be a Patriot, but apparently New England will not pursue. I love the Meek Mill-Robert Kraft relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like he needs somebody to be his agent at this point, so I guess Meek It's Meek Mill <laughs> stepping in. Taking the role. That's fine. Yeah. I also... Lamar, just... Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. I'm going to change the topic completely. If you want, oh, to I, I was just, literally just going to say Lamar to the Patriots would be like the that's like the weirdest jersey for me to picture him, and it just seems so oh, out yeah. there. The Falcons so. are the only one that I can like. If I close my eyes, I could see it. Which, by the way, he mm-hmm. has now pretty much crossed that off the board because he clapped back at Arthur uh, Blank, who said that oh, we have some concerns about Lamar's availability, and then he's like, "Was I selfish for sitting out? Like, how can we don't talk about the twelve games I did play?" Basically, and I I think he is completely butchering this entire thing where he has alienated himself from the owners during the owner meeting. I was going to change the topic back to the Ben Simmons thing, just to kind of re- to to see how bad I butchered the stat. McCall Bridges has scored three three hundred forty eight points this month. Ben Simmons has scored two hundred ninety one points as a net total. 
wasn't even a minute stat <laughs> at all. But that's crazy. <laughs> wow. Do nothing and cash that check, and then he's going to retire. It's the life. Mm. Anyway, last but not least, tomorrow, March 30th, MLB is back. It's opening day. I know um, at least two-fifths of us on this pod are extremely, extremely excited for this. <laughs> we'll let the listeners determine which two-fifths that is. <laughs> Darn <Darn-wet. laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Why it's exciting just to, just to see the fights that are going to break what up. What fights? I know. <laughs> the opening day what fights. The game will only be two and a half hours this year, so just, <laughs> just try, just try it out. <laughs> it's a whole I will new sport. watch one of the first couple games for the pitch clock, and that's the only time they have to grab me. You'll not catch me watching one June. He's gonna not get sucked in. Trust me, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the pace of play is a lot better. People have, uh, have been saying that it's great, good. Uh, I, I think that I, I think we that just, baseball needs yeah. a lot more than a, a pitching clock to. <laughs> Do you want to like cut this the clock in half, Wyatt, or make it like five seconds, like kind of rapid fire <laughs> yeah. pitching? Maybe let like, them take kind of steroids. Fun. Yeah. Or <laughs> like let them do it legally. Just like put them out there. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, let's move on to our first actual segment of the day. That's March Madness Final Four talk for you. Uh, basically, we just wanted to do a mini deep dive on these Final Four teams because this has been one of the craziest March Madnesses in recent memory. This might be the weirdest Final Four ever. Uh, at least it has an argument for that. So let's just go through each of the four teams, Jared. You're up first. You got UConn. What's up with UConn this year? So they are the highest seed remaining at number four and also definitely the favorite. Um, the four seed, I honestly, too, is a little bit misleading because they started the season 14-0 and uh, and beat Alabama early in the season. So they've proven earlier in the season they're a good team to get to the Final Four. They had, a, I would say, a relatively easy path, actually. 13 Iona, 5 St. Mary. St. Mary Gales? I have no idea what that school is. Eight Arkansas, sorry for the alum listening. Uh, eight Arkansas, and then unfortunately my Gonzaga Bulldogs, who I picked to win the tournament. Um, but the big narrative with them is their margin of victory throughout the tournament. They've won by 24, 15, 23, and 28 points. Uh, so quite dominating on the way to get there. Um, and obviously also playing really good defense too. Like Gonzaga is one of the best offensive teams in the country, and they held them. They pretty much shut them down 50-something points. Um. Their best players are Adama Sanogo. He's the leading scorer left in the tournament at 80 points. Also 9.8 rebounds per game, so almost averaging a double-double. And very efficient, too, 66%. So he's kind of their great interior player. Then they have Jordan Hawkins on the perimeter. He was a first-team Big big East performer. Um, And that overall kind of keeps their team pretty balanced. Like I said, I think they're probably the best team and the favorite remaining um and we'll see they they won't have to play another team that's ranked higher than them so um they have a pretty good chance of being being the champion here for sure mm-hmm. you should definitely not go back and listen to our other march madness episode we did where i said <laughs> uconn was my favorite to get upset in the first round oh man it's oh, a brutal look there for me <laughs> i remember being swayed by your pitch lucas too because I remember picking between Gonzaga and UConn, and I was like, I don't know, Lucas made some good points, and so I picked Gonzaga <laughs> to win that. So, thanks. Tough. Tough. <laughs> okay, next up, Miami. The, one of the two five seeds here. Wyatt, what are your thoughts on Miami this year? 
Well, I'll do some rundown on the research that I found. Uh, Jim Lair, so I don't even know how to say it. Larinaga. <laughs> Larinaga. Is at Miami's. It's their Miami's coach. He's been with the program since 2011. He's guided the Hurricanes to six tournament as uh, six March Madness appearances, four of which, by the way, went to the Sweet 16 during his tenure. Prior to that, he led George Mason to a Final Four appearance. So, kind of little deja vu here. Which, but which, funny enough. Their best player, Jordan Miller, is a transfer from George Mason. I don't know if they're connected. They certainly weren't there at the same time since um, Jim came all the way from 2011. But if Miami were to move on past UConn, who, like Jared said, are the betting favorites, they would be in position to win their first national championship in their entire school history, which is a big deal. Right now, though, they're the equivalent of like the Sacramento Kings or the Dallas Mavericks. They have a historic offense with an average at best defense. They are one of the most lethal scoring teams in the country with an offense efficiency rank of number five. And there are four different players on their team who are averaging at least a double digit score. So it makes it difficult for opponents to really like hone in on somebody. Even if Jordan Miller is their best player, there would be three other guys on that roster who could go at you and get you a bucket at any point. But Miller is shooting 50% from the field and 43% from the three, which is crazy. It's I don't know how that racks up against college basketball numbers, but in the NBA, 43% from three would be insane. But ultimately, their only goal is to, like, let's go out there and let's just outscore everybody. I was doing some research about the Kings. Um, their net rating, which is the difference between the amount of points that they score and the amount of points they allow, is two. So basically, like, we just got to score two more points than what the other team does, which I think that Miami is really going to do the same thing. So hopefully they can, if they can mitigate UConn's impact in the paint, which they're a really good offensive rebounding team, um, they might have a chance to beat them in a shootout. shootout. UConn actually wins most of the games by 22 and a half, and Miami is a great second half team. So maybe they have a chance to catch UConn off guard for a team who isn't normally used to playing hard till the end of the game, you know, but that's basically their only shot is that like, we're more resilient and we're a little bit, a little bit faster than you. Okay. Nice. Um, let's jump over to the other side of the bracket. Now we've got the other five seed that's San Diego state, San Diego state. From what you say, why it is basically the opposite of Miami. They are defense, defense, and more defense. I was reading an article about them on The Athletic, and basically the way they described it is that the recruiting pitch when you're trying to come play basketball there is literally one question, how willing are you to play defense? They are not interested in recruiting studs on offense. They just want guys who can commit and actually play hard. Um, They're a super selfless team. They only had one guy who scored double digits this year per game. He put up 12.5. So they are not a team that relies on one person offensively. Again, it's just defense, defense, defense. That's what Steve Fisher instilled because he kind of brought this program up, and new coach Brian Dutcher has kind of just continued that. This is a program that has been like on the cusp, because when Kawhi was there, they made the Sweet 16. They made the Sweet 16 again a few years later. They w- were apparently on track to be a two-seed the year that COVID canceled the tourney. Um, so a lot of their fans right now feel like this is overdue, or at least that it's, you know, it's been a long time coming. So I'm happy for them for that. They went thirty-one, or sorry, they went twenty-seven and six this year in the regular season. They lost a couple of regular uh, ranked matchups early, but then they were really good after that. In the actual tournament, they beat a thirteen seed Furman. They beat Charleston, a twelve seed. They beat the overall one seed Bama. 
and then they beat Creighton in the Elite Eight. Uh, the interesting thing, as you would expect with their defense, is in three of those four games, they allowed fewer than 60 points, and then Bama, one of the best offenses in the country this year, they scored 81 points per game. Um, San Diego State held them to like 64, so they slipped up a little bit. But otherwise, that is clearly their calling card, and that is why they would win it all if they win it all. I expect them to beat FAU because FAU is decent. They're well-rounded, but they're not. I don't think they're strong enough offensively to, to overcome San Diego State's defense. However, as we alluded to earlier, I do think UConn is the favorite for good reason. And if UConn meets San Diego State in the championship, I think UConn is actually good enough on both sides of the ball that they'll be able to win. Their offense is really, really good this year, and I think they'd be able to overcome San Diego State's defense, but still, it's been an awesome run. This is a team that hasn't really gotten a lot of like media attention in general, so I think it's been great. Maybe their defense can carry them through. I love how you spun them being bad on offense as being selfless. That's I gotta find that. <laughs> that's the textbook lawyeristic. Like, well, okay, no, but the the selfless thing is the fact that nobody is like the one go to score is what I was trying bad. to get at. It's because they're bad, baby. <laughs> I mean, no, sure. Joking. They're in You're the final wrong. four. Yeah, can they, that's no, true. No, the March Madness is the worst tournament at measuring how good a team actually is. It's Who cares? Quiet. It's, yeah, the exactly. best. it's the most fun. That's we get stuff that's like this. Jerry Rance was seven game previous. series. I think yeah. we've debated that One before. Right? This would never yeah. happen in college football. Exactly. Yeah, that doesn't make it more fun for me, though, personally. That's okay. College football should go to one quarter playoff games. <laughs> it would be good. No, just like overtime, just college overtime is yeah, the game. Like, two point yeah. conversion until somebody hits like 10 points. Uh, okay, last but not least, Lucas, FAU. What's good? Yeah, so I think FAU is the best story in the tournament, and they're the ultimate underdog, and I hope you're rooting for them like I am as well. But I want to start off with the very beginning of FAU. A lot of reasons they're the, this biggest underdog coming in to the Final Four. First off, in the span of the universities of this country, they're not that old. FAU was only founded as a college in 1964, so it's less than 60 years old as a university. They first fielded a men's basketball team in 1988, so only a little over, what, that's 35 years ago at this point? And they only became D1 30 years ago in 1993, which makes me feel very old to say 1993 <laughs> was 30 years ago. Um, but even with that considered, they made a pretty quick rise through the basketball ranks. Um, for their story of the season... Uh, Dusty May has been an excellent coach. I think this is his fifth year. During that time, they've slowly but steadily increased, but this year was just another level. Um, they did that. Um, they followed Dusty May to winning 35 games this year, only losing three, one of the best records in all of college basketball. In that time, they beat Florida, which is really big for them, in-state rival from SEC school. They won 20 straight games, and they dominated Conference USA, beating UAB. Plus, they finished the regular season ranked number 25 in the AP poll. So this isn't like a total out-of-nowhere shock. Like FAU has played excellent this year. Any basketball team that wins 20 straight games is a good basketball team. I saw a stat that the only other team that's done that this year uh, was the College of Charleston, who mm-hmm. lost to San Diego State in the first round. So it's like you don't really know how good they could have been given the fact that the team they lost to is in the Final Four. But how did they do it? It is very much because they are a excellent rebounding team, and so they can get a lot of shots. They are third in rebounding in the whole NCAA, um, and this creates a bunch of second-chance shots. And if they rebound on the defensive end, they can get down and shoot on offense as well. They're not super high in shooting percentage, but they're top five in the country in field goals and three-pointers attempted and top ten points. So they're basically a team that relies on their rebounding to create chances, and then they're good enough at creating chances that, and shooting once they create those chances that they can 
beat pretty much anybody they play. Uh, they played exceedingly well in this tournament, uh, which is crazy considering they never even won a game in March Madness before this year. Like, they had never won a single March Madness game, and then now they're in the Final Four. Wild first round went over Memphis, who was an excellent, excellent team. A lot of people had them as, like, a sleeper going into the tournament. Tough fought win over Fairleigh Dickinson, which maybe a little bit past the 16th seed, but Purdue kind of get past him. They beat Tennessee, who a lot of people mm-hmm. had a favorite in the tournament once all the ones went down. And then Kansas State, uh, who, again, another really excellent team. And whose coach Jerome Tang called them the toughest team they played all year, which I think is a high compliment considering that the Big 12 has emerged as one of the basketball conferences. So, yeah, FAU is a really good team. Indy Katz keeps ranking them towards the bottom um, of his sort of like reseeding power rankings. I think that's a little unfair given how they've been doing, but I do think they are probably a slight underdog against San Diego State because they're not a great shooting team. They just generate a lot of chances, and I think that San Diego State will be effectively able to limit that. That being said, I think they're going to play really well. They'll give San Diego State a close game. Root for that, like, South Florida, Miami-ish bowl, right? Because I think yeah, Florida exactly. is, like, an hour away from Miami. So. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's like, San Diego State versus Florida Atlantic sounds like a like a, an early round bowl game that we <laughs> really played does, every yeah. year. <laughs> bad boy like mowers, the, something. Yeah, anyway. yeah, whatever bowl. <laughs> Gasparilla bowl. <laughs> exactly. Um, does anyone have a hot take that UConn is not the favorite? Or are we all in agreement on that? <laughs> okay. No, they're the favorite. Yeah. If it's not, you kind of be kind of shocked. But it's been a crazy yeah. tournament, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on, a quick read from our sponsor. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame money line, bet, and score 150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine bets for a shot for an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odd boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, sign up with code TPPN right now. New customers can bet just $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay. Uh, As I alluded to at the start of the episode, we're going to continue our state of segments today. We're going to be talking about the Raiders and what they're up to, what their future looks like. Aiden, let's throw it to you. The Jimmy G era is underway. As he said he wants to get the silver and black back to where it should be, what do they need to do that? I'm not super high on the Raiders. You know, it's a good example of an offseason that's been busy, you know, eventful, but not necessarily good. You know, we all know they released Derek Carr. They traded Darren Waller. um, They've added people. So they signed Jimmy G. They signed Jacoby Myers, Austin Hooper to replace Darren Waller. um, And they franchise tagged Josh Jacobs, who was really like their MVP last year. So, yeah, a lot lot going on so far. Um, And I don't think these are all bad moves. Like, for example, the Jacoby Myers deal, I was prepared for him to get, like, $18 million a year from somebody who is desperate for a receiver. They gave him $11 million a year for three years, which you compare to, like, Alan Lazard, who the Jets signed for also $11 million a year for four years. And Lazard, I'd say, is a worse receiver. Um, so I feel like they honestly did okay with that deal. Um, but it's really hard for me to make the case that they've, like, significantly improved. And from there, it's even harder to make the case that they've improved enough 
in their division to compete with the Chargers or let alone the Chiefs. So, you know, for example, like their QB swap feels like a lateral move at best, um, probably a downgrade. You know, I love Jimmy G. I'm charmed by his boyish good looks, you know, um, as we all are. But his like and his three year, you know, sixty seven point five million dollar contract isn't terrible. But Derek Carr has been statistically better as a QB over his career. And he's done that with a you know revolving door of coaches and offensive coordinators. Well, Jimmy G was part of a very flattering, you know, Kyle Shanahan offense. So when you see Brock Purdy go in and immediately have the success that he had, it's it's hard to gauge what how good Jimmy G is in isolation. So, you know, the one like argument I think you can make for the Raiders offseason is, you know, Josh McDaniels getting his guys. When Josh McDaniels was calling plays for Jimmy G in New England, apparently Jimmy G had a 119 passer rating. Compare that to Tom Brady's 98.7 passer rating under Josh McDaniels. So we're about to witness some, yeah, the next level of Jimmy G. Um, And you also have, you know, Jacoby Myers. McDaniels has also coached before, so he seems like a real breakout candidate. So it does seem like this year will be the year of the Raiders letting McDaniels have the team he wants. Was it wise to do this? I like I don't know. I don't know what their other options are. Are they too far in now? Like yes. So I don't think they should be going for like a QB um, in the first round this year. I don't think they should be trying to get Levis or, or Anthony Richardson. Jimmy G's under contract for three years. Maybe you look at Hendon Hooker in the second round. You give McDaniel's his year, and if he fails this year, I I feel like he should be out. And I know the Raiders are trigger happy anyways so it seems like they'll do that <clears throat> but i don't even think they're wrong to dump him like he took a 10 and 7 team to 6 and 11 last year so you know if, if he fails with his guys this year then i feel like they they fire him they enter full on rebuild mode next year i uh, yeah i think he has a, a very 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 short lease at this point especially given how frankly unsuccessful he was with the broncos and then took made this seem like you mentioned worse and i think for like I know it's getting his guys, but this just feels like such a like a replacement level football mm-hmm. team. Like it just like every player just seems like computer generated in their skill level of like <laughs> they're all like solid to some extent, but like I don't like Jimmy G, Jacoby Myers, Austin Hooper, all are like people you like pick up in a fantasy football league if your main guy gets injured. Like that's kind of the energy <laughs> of people on this team. So I don't know. I think it's like it, it reminds me a little bit, I wrote this down, of like the Sixers right before the process where it's like they're playing just enough to like not be horrible, but there's no way they're ever going to be good. So it's probably not really worth it at this point to do anything other than blow it up after this year unless it goes really, really well. Jacoby Myers has been playing for the, the Raiders since week 15, and they didn't give him a bonus for that when he, with the lateral. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally forgot. They still just freaking gave him all right, here's 11 million. <laughs> the problem that I have with the Raiders mainly is I'm kind of in this weird in between. It seems as though with some of the turmoil from the way last season ended and a lot of the commentary coming out of the Raiders that Josh McDaniels has failed to connect with some of the players in the locker room and doesn't really come off as a guy with a great direction going forward. The problem with the Raiders, though, is that they're coming off of a decade's worth, almost, of basically non-existent football with 
outside of Max Crosby, like who else on that team and Colton Miller, who else on that team really is a solid foundational piece from the last regime. They're almost starting from ground zero here. Uh, but another problem that I have is that making the move for Devonte Adams is we really want to win in the short term window yep. type move. And it was also a move that I thought there was a chance that McDaniel was not going to go down the Patriots 2.0 route. And of course I was wrong. Uh, getting Jimmy G and going for Jacoby Myers is not super encouraging. Uh, of course, adding Chandler Jones, who was a Patriot long, long ago as well. It's like, you can't just continue to lean on only what, you know, I thought Devonte Adams was a break from that shell, but I mean, really any move that they can make going forward has already passed them by. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was traded to the Dolphins for a third-round pick. They could have made that move. Stephon Gilmore mm-hmm. traded to the Cowboys for a fifth-round pick. I think they could have made that. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, at a position of need for them at safety, was added, were had for just $6.5 million in the single year. And granted, yeah, it's a one-year deal, but it's worth it for the, a team like the Raiders who don't really have a great defense. Jesse Bates, a long-term solution at the position, only has a $9 million cap hit this year. I think that's worth it for them. And Brandon Cooks who was traded to the Cowboys as well for a fifth and a sixth round pick. I, I would make that trade as well. And they, they also restructured his deal so that the Texans are paying part of his salary this year and they can find a way to make it work underneath their cap. And ultimately any of these moves, they could have found a way to make work underneath their cap, especially for guys like Jalen Ramsey and CJ or uh, Jesse Bates, who probably would have been longer term solutions, at least three or four years at that given position. So it's not really available for them to go out. And even Lamar Jackson would have made sense if Jimmy G was not on the roster. So I, it's they made yeah. moves here in the short term that say, like, we're ready to win now. And then they just decided to adopt a model that has failed on several occasions of, well, we're only going to add Patriots guys from here on out. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was uh, I was reading about the Darren Waller trade, and it's like the same exact sentiment, basically, where apparently they traded him because he's more of a receiving tight end, yeah. and he's not a good blocker. And Josh McDaniels really values tight ends who can, who can line up inside and block. And it's like, to trade an extremely talented tight end because he can't do that one thing, instead of changing your scheme to use a tight end who can do something else, is like, it just seems like terrible coaching. Like, it's, yeah, like, is McDaniels literally that one-trick pony of a coach? It's frustrating. I think that they should draft. This is a little bit of a diversion, but I think they should draft Hendon Hooker this year or somebody in the similar type of round. Where I think that, like, going forward, Jimmy G is not the franchise quarterback, but he's somebody who can hold down the fort for a few years and mentor somebody like Hendon Hooker. So I think that, given what I think will happen, and that it'll all blow up this year, there'll be a new regime that'll hopefully be there to nurture young talent um, in a way that. I don't know if McDaniels would. I think that like drafting Hendon Hooker or somebody equivalent would be a very good move this year in like yeah. the second or third round yeah. or wherever he falls to. No, I agree. And it feels like the Raiders, I don't think the Raiders are going to be good this year, but they're not going to be bad enough that they're going to be top five, I feel like, to have a shot at Caleb Williams or like a, you know, without trading up, have a shot at the best QB prospects going forward. So it seems worth it for them to at least get, I don't know, someone in the pipeline. I like a guy like Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, who apparently is a very cerebral, uh, well-practiced type player. Only 23, a couple mm-hmm. years younger than Hooker. 
and a player that I had I have really high hopes for coming into this. There's a chance that he can go he can get drafted. It probably only cost you a fourth round pick. And then mm. he sits behind Jimmy G for a little bit. The problem is is I again if they had said like we are we 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 know that right now as constituted we cannot compete with the Kansas City Chiefs and we probably won't be able to compete with the Chargers. We're just going to make moves or make a move like get Lamar Jackson so that way we we have a good step going forward. Instead, this isn't really like there's nothing that they can do that will we that we will say they are contender this year or they are contender within the next two to three years outside of remove everybody else from this roster and start again. <laughs> like Max Crosby is is really the only player that can stay. <laughs> Colton Miller is a very talented player um, for them, but even like Devonte Adams, he he'd probably go in a rebuild. Chandler Jones would probably go in a rebuild. And that's about as far as the value goes. Josh Jacobs is no one's really going to trade for him because he's on a franchise tag. And, and that's it. But I'll tell you what, I'm sure some Raiders fans are hoping for a plan. So I'm going to give you one. Colton Miller <laughs> at least gives them a little bit of versatility. He started his career at right tackle. He moved to left tackle. You can move him back for te- for players who don't really have experience playing both sides of the ball um, at pick seven. Peter Skaronsky or Paris Johnson Jr. are ripe for the picking. There is a chance, and a very slim chance, I would say, that Jalen Carter falls his way down to seven given the mm-hmm. way that his draft rank goes. I actually don't think Seattle or Detroit would let him slide by, though. Um, they can also, if they really want to acquire picks, trade back from the seventh pick and get a guy like Dwan Jones from Ohio State or Darnell Wright, who are right tackle options, and they can acquire another day two pick to kind of flesh out the rest of their secondary or something like that. Defensively, possibly Frank Clark, who is one of the better playoff chiefs of all time. Unfortunately, because of Chandler Jones, it does kind of provide a tricky rotational type basis with them. But ultimately, if they don't acquire a corner or anything like that at all, Marcus Peters is still available. Shaquille Griffin, who is a good corner uh, piece, is available from the Jaguars. At least they're going to be better than really whoever they have. So like they're just going to have to like flesh out the rest of their pieces with some complementary pieces, not long-term solutions, a more talented than what they have now, but nothing that too talented that um, is really a hopeful piece for them going forward. Same with Indama uh, Kinsu was another, mm-hmm. another name that I think that they can look to acquire as well. But, I mean, ultimately, they have no real long-term strategy for winning. Anyways, that's going to do it for us this episode. Thank you for listening. Hope if you're a member of the Raiders front office, you were listening (laughs) and took some notes on what Wyatt said um, and aren't too sad about your outlook after all of that. Um, you should be though. Uh, but anyway, um, as per usual, if you aren't already, follow us on all our social medias, lunchpailguys underscore on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, and we'll be back with a second episode this week to do an NFL mock draft or first of the season. So uh, see you for that.